If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I want to welcome you here at the Bellingham campus. Special welcome. Bellingham, can we welcome Sutton Valley and Ferndale, who are also going to be joining us? Uh, We're glad that you guys are here. Sutton Valley is doing an incredible job making an impact in the valley, and you can be praying for our Ferndale church because they're actually looking for a permanent home, and we may have found one in the Pioneer Center, which is kind of right in the downtown core of Ferndale, and so we're praying that God gives us favor in that area. Ferndale, we're with you, and we're excited about the next chapter for CTK Ferndale. Before I start, I want, I just gotta, I've got to give credit where credit's due because that's just the right thing to do. Several years ago, I heard uh, Pastor John Ortberg preach a message on Jonah, and I wrote down some notes in my brain, and it's been rolling around in my head for a really, really long time. So if anything is good out of this, give the credit to John Ortberg where, it deserve, where he deserves, okay? All right. So over the past couple of weeks, I've kind of been joking about the flannel graph stories that I learned back when I was in Sunday school and church. How many of you experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, because I know the rest of you have experienced a flannel graph story on your bucket list, I couldn't resist. So, this is Jonah. He's not very impressive, but there he is, all five inches of him. And the Bible tells us in an Old Testament story that God told Jonah to go and preach in the city of Nineveh. The problem was Nineveh was not a nice place. It was like being sent to Tacoma, okay? All right, so be nice. You're in church. Okay, so God says, you're going to go and preach the gospel in Nineveh. And Jonah responds as we often do when God tells us to do something. Oh, no, I'm not. So Jonah goes in the opposite direction. He actually disappears, goes down to a city called Joppa, which is on his way to a city called Tarshish, okay? God said go to Nineveh. Jonah goes two and a half times in the opposite direction. Two and a half times. While God is watching this little boat float away because Jonah is now a part of the crew, he makes a decision to send a storm Woo! A storm down on top of the boat with Jonah inside. Jonah's down underneath, sleeping underneath of the deck, and the storm comes up, and these pagan soldiers, or sorry, uh, sailors, start freaking out, and they don't know what's going on. So Jonah actually comes up out of the bottom of the boat, makes himself known to the sailors, and says, Look, I'm the reason God is angry. I'm a rebellious prophet. Throw me overboard which they do, and then they all come to know the God of Israel and begin to worship God, and it's a really cool evangelistic story. While Jonah is down in the ocean, God sends a friend to help him out on his journey, and God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. technology. It's awesome. And this is where we're going to stop for a little while, okay? Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, this is why I love preaching Old Testament narrative, because the beauty of the story is in the details. See, the truth is, a lot of us think we know the story, but we don't really know the story. You might be surprised 
that the word whale is actually never mentioned in the entire story of Jonah. Not once. In fact, it's interesting. It says God provided a great fish. Those are the words that are used. The word provided would be better translated, in my humble opinion, either commissioned or appointed. And some of your translations will actually use the word appointed. That word was actually used. It was a governmental word. And when a king wanted to commission or appoint a messenger to carry a message on his behalf, that's the word that is used to describe when God commissions a fish. Can you imagine that in your brain? God commissioning a fish. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, fish, come here for a second. Got this rebellious prophet. He decided to go in the other direction. He needs a ride. He's out there just kind of floating around, so I need you to pick him up. But fish, before you pick him up, swallow, don't chew. Okay? All right? I'll tell you where you're going to drop him off. It's going to take you about three days to get where you're going. That's all right. By the way, fish, how's your gag reflex? Okay, that's a question. That will come into play in a little bit, okay? Now, I know some of you are already rolling thoughts around in your brain, some skeptical thoughts, and you're thinking, how is it possible for a human being to be alive for three days and three nights inside the belly of a fish? And I know this story is difficult for the analyticals and the logicals that are here inside of the room. And the reason that it's difficult for you to, to grasp a hold of is because it's a miracle, okay? Miracles are never logical, They don't fit inside of human understanding. That's what makes them miracles. They're just outside of the realm of possibility. And I want you to understand this. I put it in your outline. It's so important. At the root of every miracle is an all-powerful God that can do all-powerful things. I got like one and a half amens out of that, okay? At the root of every miracle is an all-powerful God that can do all-powerful things. And the Bible is a book of miracles. I mean, just think about it. Global floods, walking through an ocean on dry ground, imploding cities, pregnant virgins, walking on the top of water. There are miracles, no logical explanation other than an all-powerful God getting the attention of a group of rebellious people just so he could show them, I'm up to something great. I'm up to something great. Just keep watching. So I'll tell you what, If God can do all things, and if God is all-powerful, I think he can transport a rebellious prophet in a water taxi with fins, okay? Because God's just that good. God's up to something great here. In fact, if you study the story, you're going to find that word a lot, the word great. God's word in the story is great. I mean, when Jonah runs, God sends a great wind and a great storm. Not a little wind and a little storm. It's a great wind and a great storm. The Bible says the sailors are in great fear. God intervenes, and he doesn't just send a fish. No, it's a great fish. I love that. God's up to something great. If you study the book and you see great associated with God all the time, there's a word that's also associated that keeps showing up for Jonah. Jonah's word in the story is down. It's down. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa, where he hops a boat and goes down to Tarshish. Jonah goes down into the belly of the ship to go to sleep, and then he gets thrown overboard, and he goes down into the depths of the ocean where he's swallowed by the fish who takes him down even further. Some of you know exactly what it feels like to be down because that's where you are. 
right now. Way down. And that's where we find Jonah. Alone with God inside a great fish. He's at the bottom, the bottom of his life, the bottom of his calling, the bottom of his rebellion. I mean, anybody else ever been there before? Just down. We use a phrase in the English language. We say, you've hit rock bottom. Nowhere else to go, nowhere else to hide. You've kind of run out of options. You feel like you're at the bottom of life itself. And if you've ever been there, you completely understand what Jonah does next. Because you probably did it. Jonah calls out to God. That's what Scripture says. He prays. Listen to his prayer. He says, In my distress, I called out to the Lord and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I want you to notice something. All the way up to the point where we find Jonah in the bottom of the fish, there's not a word of prayer. There's not a mention of prayer anywhere in the story. He didn't pray about running. He didn't pray about direction. He didn't pray about going in the opposite direction. He didn't ask for permission to be a rebel. He didn't pray because he's not talking to God at all. He makes him so much like me. When life's not going good, or I'm disappointed in God, you know what the first thing is that disappears? The conversation. It's like, I'm not talking to you. You're not coming through for me. You didn't go through my grocery list and give me everything that I asked for. Therefore, you don't love me, so I will not say a word to you. Okay, don't pretend you guys have never done that ever, right? I know, I'm the only one, right? But when desperation sets in, isn't it amazing? Soon as you get desperate, the conversation starts back up again. Jonah cries out to God. I mean, seriously, what else are you going to do when you're trapped in the belly of a fish, right? It's not like it comes with a portable DVD player, right? It's just, you're just in the bottom of a fish. God's got Jonah exactly where he wants him because he's finally got his complete attention. Have you ever noticed how many things come into our life that distract us from having that primary conversation with God? I mean, even good things get in the way, don't they? Our schedules, our goals, our children, our stuff, all competing with attention that should rightfully be on God. I mean, you look at the first part of the story. Jonah was all wrapped up in his plans, his direction, his desire, his refusal. But now he's caught up in the bottom of the pit, the bottom of a fish. And guess what comes? Here come the prayers. God help me. Here come the promises. I'll never do it again. If you get me out of here, I'll never do it again. Boy, this is what we can learn here. When we hit bottom, we meet God. Don't deserve to, but we do. Listen to Jonah's words, just in case you're wondering too. Um, I appreciate the guys in our communications department so much. So on one side of your outline, you've got the outline what we're going to talk about. On the other side, you've got the one entire book of the Bible, the whole thing. Now, you might need a bit of a magnifier to be able to read it because it's pretty small, and I'm getting older, so I've got to hold it like way out here. But you've got the whole thing, so you can check out afterwards to see whether or not I'm telling you the truth. Listen to Jonah's words. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head when my life was ebbing away. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayers rose to you. Joseph has a moment of clarity. 
If you talk to someone who's been, been, been set free from addiction, they'll talk about a moment of clarity. When all of a sudden everything just pushed to the side and they saw God for who he really was and they knew they needed help. He realize, realizes he's hit his rock bottom, but he also realizes this, his rock bottom was actually the best thing that ever happened to him because it brought him back to a God who just happened to be up to something great. I know some of you actually believe that your rock bottom is below God's ability to hear you. You believe that because of how low you've traveled, that that has turned down the volume of your prayers so low that God shut down that channel a long, long time ago. Can I tell you something? If you believe that, you're wrong. You're just flat out, unadulterated wrong. In fact, the further you go down, the more God turns that volume up. So that when you speak his name, boom, right there. I know some of you believe that you've done so much hurt to God that calling out to Him, to, calling out to him right now it just seems so wrong. It just seems so wrong to expect God to help me when I've turned my back on Him so many times. And so you make a decision, I'm just not going to be able to do that because I already know the answer is going to be silence. If you believe that, can I tell you the same thing I told the first group? You're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible says the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So pray. Cry out to Him. It doesn't matter what you've done before. Reach to Him from the belly of your situation. Call to Him and and find out whether or not God's actually up to something great. Jonah cries out and God delivers him. Boy, does he ever deliver him. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. I didn't say it. It's in your Bible. Look for yourself, okay? It's what it is. I love the Bible. I mean, it's just awesome. The fish puked a prophet. I mean, that's cool, right? I mean, God must have just been cracking up. And I, I like the fact that the Bible's got some eighth grade humor in it, you know? It's a, it's a Larry the Cable Guy moment. Like, hey, fish, get her done. You know, that's just, I love that. Toss your cookies, lose your lunch, blow chow. I mean, whatever you want to do, however you want to describe it. And some of you are like, don't go there, pastor. Actually, I'm sparing you because the Hebrew description of vomit here, you, that would not be good if I shared the whole thing with you. It's just really, this is actually a nice version right here. Jonah ends up on the shore, and he's a mess. I mean, just picture him. Three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. He's bleached white because of the stomach juices. He's gross. He stinks. He's still got seaweed wrapped around his neck. He's humbled. He's ready. He's finally ready. So many of us would paint Jonah as just this tragic, tragic guy in the story. But the truth is, in this story, I see nothing but joy. The joy of deliverance, the joy of desperate prayer being answered, the joy of restoration, the joy of hope restored, the joy of fish, the joy of God's gracious response. And yes, I'm going to say it, the joy of situational vomit. That's awesome from the Bible.
I planned that, just so you know, okay. Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh. Tacoma, whatever you want to call it, right? He finally gets there, and this is an amazing thing. The Bible says that Jonah actually preaches all throughout the city of Nineveh, and that the people of Nineveh repent in sackcloth and ashes for breaking God's heart, and the entire city comes to Jesus. Now that, I can tell you, happens because the reason why our church in Pakistan is, is, is under so much persecution is because they went and preached the gospel. An entire village in Pakistan came to Christ. That's why there's so much persecution going on right now, okay? Jonah finally gets to Nineveh. Took a long time to get there. And right there, there's a great lesson for all of us, you know? I know this isn't rocket science, but let's, let's write it down anyway. The best road in life is the road of obedience. It is. If Jonah just would have obeyed and gone, how much easier? Not as many good stories, but would have been easier. The converse is also true. The worst road in life is the road of rebellion. So Jonah preaches the message of God's love to the people of Nineveh. An entire city comes to Christ because God's up to something great. Even in the midst of personal pain and city pain and pain in a church on the other side of the world, God is still up to something great. When you are living in the midst of your deepest rebellion, this is what I can tell you. God is still up to something great. Let's just stop there just for a second, okay? We made a big deal all throughout this series about where we find Jesus in the stories of the Old Testament. Because I told you, every single story points us towards the Jesus of the New Testament. So where do we find Jesus in this story? Well, I'll tell you where we find him. We find him in the similarities. We also find him in the contrasts. Let's talk about some of the similarities for a second. Jonah was a prophet, according to 2 Kings chapter 14, who came from a town called gath Hafer. That little town is in a a region with several little communities inside of it. And one of the communities inside of of, of that particular region actually took on the name of the entire region, and later on it was named Nazareth. Anybody know of another prophet, an itinerant Jewish rabbi who came from Nazareth? Jonah's asleep in a boat. A storm blows in and everybody panics. And when they wake him up, the storm is stilled by his actions. Jonah goes overboard. Jesus says, shh, literal translation. Hey, little dog, shh, zip it. And the storm goes quiet. Does that remind you of anybody else in Scripture? The name of Jonah means dove. An expanded understanding of his name means given to a beloved one. Can anyone else think of someone in Scripture who went under the water, who came back up out of the water, and a dove descended from heaven, and a voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now ring a bell for anybody. At the end of the life of Jesus, he actually talked about what he called the sign of Jonah. 
book of Mark says, Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Can anybody see the parallels of the great things that God was up to? So many similarities, but also some contrasts. Jonah's rebellious. He doesn't want to do what God said. Jesus says, Daddy, I'll do it. I'll go to the Ninevites of the world. I'll tell them about your compassionate, great love. I'll show up. I won't go the road of disobedience. I'll go the road of obedience. You can count on me. I got it. I mean, it's just so beautiful when you look through it. The message of Jonah, it's just a joyful taste of the victory that Jesus gives when he meets us in those lowest places and tells us that in the end, the reality is going to be if you follow the path of obedience, you will win. You will win. I mean, I love the fact that, that, that Jonah, I mean, he just lives it out here. Right in the end, death loses. With Jesus, death loses. Sin loses. Sorrow loses. Sadness loses. At the end of the book, joy wins because Jesus wins. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's a story of joy. Do you understand that? Do you get it? I wish the story finished right there. I do. I just wish it was done at like at the end of chapter 3. Because this is where the roads kind of go two different directions. Jonah preaches. People get saved. And Jonah gets mad. I don't know, really know why. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, you think if you're a preacher and somebody gets saved, that's like, woo! Not Jonah. Jonah's like, Pfft. how can we give them compassion? They didn't deserve compassion. I didn't want a revival. I wanted Sodom and Gomorrah too. That's what I was looking for. I wanted you to flaunt by the whole group of them. Instead, you decided to be nice? Really? Are you serious, God? He relapses, and he ends up sitting on the side of a hill all by himself overlooking the city. For the biblical purists, he's to the east, just so you got it straight, okay? The rest of you are like, what? Don't worry about it, okay? Jonah gets mad. He's mad because God gave the people of Nineveh grace. Does Jonah have a short memory or what? He just emerged from the belly of a fish and he got grace. When he should have gotten judgment, but instead, no, he gets exactly the opposite. But but isn't that amazing for all of us how quickly we forget God's grace? We loved it when we were in the center of it. But then when God starts, starts offering it to that guy or that girl, then it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down, God. The Bible says Jonah pouts, and it gets hot. In fact, it actually says the sun baked the top of his bald head. I kind of like that, all right? But God, once again, is gracious and compassionate. In fact, God actually says, he uses the same word for fish. He said, God appoints a vine to come and cover poor Jonah's baking scalp. 
You'd think that would change him, right? No. In fact, Jonah says this, I'm so angry, I could die. Really. So God appoints again. This time, he actually appoints a a little worm to come and eat up Jonah's little vine. And the vine shrivels, and Jonah ends up sitting by himself on the side of a hill, pouting, and God comes, and they actually have a conversation, and God reveals his missional heart to the whole world while his prophet's pouting. God asks a very powerful question. Overlooking Nineveh, he basically says this, Jonah, should I not be concerned about this city? Not just a regular city, a great city. Should I not be concerned about the 120,000 people of Nineveh who can't tell their left hand from their right? I mean, these people were so unbelievably messed up. Jonah, should I really care more about your comfort than 120,000 people who are on their way to hell? Jonah, why don't you understand? This is reason for celebration. You should be so excited. Instead, you're sitting there pouting on the side of a hill, and the curtain closes, and that's the end of the book. And if you're like me, it's like, no, 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 no. No. Write a good ending. Come on, Jonah, hug him. Come on, hug God. Come on. You know, go back. Say you're sorry. Can't we just, please? Just the curtain closes. God asks a question that I think is important for us. Jonah, is your comfort worth more than all these lost people? Christ the King, can I just ask you a question that's probably going to tick some of you off? Is your opinion or your personal preference or your comfort more important than being involved in a mission to save lost people in Whatcom County? Does your preference or the way you want to do things, is that more important than the 190,000 plus people in our home county who don't know Christ? Let me put it a different way. Do you care more about your personal preference than someone else's eternal need? Let me just get, let me, let's just say it, okay? Are we more concerned with our personal comfort than the state of lost souls? It's so easy to slip there. I started counting a few weeks ago. I started counting conversations and feedback forms that we elicit on a regular basis. And I'm going to tell you something, church. Conversations about the temperature of the room outnumbered conversations about people coming to Jesus 13 to 1. It's too hot. It's too cold. You change the flavor of the coffee. I had to wait too long in the espresso line. I don't like the pre-service music. What's with Ryan's hair? Those kinds of questions. In fact, it's Saturday Night Raw, so let me just talk about this. Ferndale, Sudden Valley, it's Sunday Morning Raw for you guys. But just, you know, if your hands are cold, here's a remedy for you. This is my gracious side coming out. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. You need to warm your hands up, clap. If you need to warm up a little bit, why don't you try moving around during worship just a little, you know, just a hair. Reach out to somebody in love. That may actually, we could turn this into a giant aerobics class. I'll have you sweating in less than six minutes if we could just get down with the program. Seriously. Some of you are trying to write a note in your brain right now. 
I don't like it when you shout, Grant. (laughs) And God sits in heaven and asks the same question. Should I not be concerned about this great city? They don't know their left hand from their right. No idea. And not all nice people get in. It's not the way of the gospel. And you're my plan A to try and reach them. And are you going to care more honestly about the thermostat than talking to your neighbor about Jesus? Should I not be concerned about this? Should you not be, should we not be concerned about this great city? I remember my Jonah moments. Do you remember yours? That rock bottom moment when you were at your lowest and God met you there. This is the point. If you don't get anything else this weekend, I hope you get this. When you finally hit bottom, you discover God's there up to something great. This church is full of Jonas. I'm one. I know a Jonah from Christ the King who had it all but lost it in a sea of alcohol. He'll tell you he was on a ship, a fast ship to nowhere, and God took him to rock bottom, and he lost everything. And I met him at rock bottom in 12 Steps of Spiritual Journey. And yes, the pastor of this church has been through 12 Steps multiple times. And if you've never experienced it, maybe you should go through a spiritual journey with us. I remember the very first night he shared when we went around, this group's my last hope. And he got real and he cried out to God and God met him in the pit of despair and he slowly brought him back into the light. And if he was here right now, he would tell you that he made an amazing discovery in the bottom of a pit. He found out that God was there doing something great. I know a businessman from Christ the King who was at the top of his game. He had every kind of earthly success that you can imagine that it all came crashing down. He actually ended up in prison and that's where he had his Jonah moment. He found that the pinnacle of his success was actually a place of unbelievable danger and that the bottom was actually a place of great security because God met him there. If you asked him for the highlight of his life, he would talk about a jail cell with a book. Ironically, he was reading Jonah. I got a friend who understands what it means when Jonah says that God threw him into the deep. Because it looks like he's been thrown into the deep. He struggles greatly with the fact, he'll say it, he'll tell it to you, that he struggles greatly with the fact that sometimes God releases us to the deep, but he's never that far away from us. And he'll tell you, he's asked the hard questions of why. He'll tell you his motto in the days when everything was collapsing was it's not fair because he lost his health, he lost his job, he lost his stuff. But if you met him today, you'd look at that guy and say, now that guy's got joy. He's got joy. This is what he said to me this week, and I quote, I was lost and in a dark place, but then I bumped into God. And he'll tell you he wouldn't trade his journey because he's found that even in a pit, God was up to something great. I know a Jonah who was here a couple of months back, literally running out of town. And God used a song, a video, 
a Bellingham police officer and an invitation to Christ the King Community Church to help him get back on track. He also used a group of you because I don't know who you are. But he was one of those courageous people who hung around after service once to pray. And a group of you, I don't know who you were, gathered around him. He prayed that night before he came that he would get to see the face of God and he got to see the face of God in you. Because you just showed up. You didn't walk past his tears when you were leaving the room. Bunch, you just stopped and put your hands on him and you prayed over top of him and he was deeply touched. And someday, I hope he can tell you his story himself. I know a female Jonah right now who would describe her life as she just got spit on the beach. Her friends have abandoned her because of her newfound faith. They think this whole Jesus thing just smells a little fishy. And she'll tell you, my life's not very pretty right now, but I'm headed in the right direction. You know, I cautioned you last week about making yourself the hero of every story because the Bible's not about us. Do you remember the big fancy theological terms? Narcissistic eisegesis. But the truth is, Jonah ain't no hero of the story, is he? You know who's the hero of the story? Some of you are like, the fish. No! God's the hero of the story. God's the hero of the story. So I think it's okay to ask the question, where's your Jonah moment? Maybe you're here and you're Jonah on the run. Running away from God, just a straight out rebel. And right now, today, you actually have the courage to admit it for the first time. Maybe you're Jonah in the deep. You don't think you can go any lower than you are. You feel like God's forgotten you. Can I remind you of the point of this weekend? If you want to, you can meet God in the deep, and he's up to something great. Some of you are Jonah on the beach. Doesn't look very pretty right now. But the truth is you're heading in the right direction. Just keep going that way. Some of you are Jesus on the preach, as I call it. You're talking about Jesus everywhere you can go. Good for you. I don't know who the young man is. I've got to track him down one of these days. But if I've got my story straight in my brain, three out of the last four times we've baptized, he showed up in the tank to baptize one of his closest friends. He's Jesus on the preach right now. He's out in Nineveh actually doing what Jonah was supposed to be doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Some of you are just Jonah on the hill. You're just ticked. This is not fair. Why would God give those people compassion? Because after all, the only person who deserves amazing grace would be me. Some of us are angry, mad, and life's not fair. Wherever you are on the journey, can I tell you something that every single one of you has has in common? Wherever you are in the story of Jonah, God's there, and he's up to something great. God is there, and he's up to something 
great if you don't believe me. Ask Jonah. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for each and every person at Bellingham, Sudden Valley, Ferndale. I thank you for an old story with timeless truth. I thank you for love and hope and joy. I thank you that we can laugh at Jonah and with Jonah. I thank you that he would probably laugh with us. Father, I pray in the powerful name of your son that you would allow us to see where we are inside of this story. And Lord, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, would you not allow us to fall into the trap of being silent? Would you allow us to cry out to you, whether we're on the beach, on the preach, whether we're in the belly of the whale, whether we're running. Would you give us the courage to open up the conversation knowing you so desperately want to be with us? Lord, for those of us who are veterans, I pray that we'd walk out of here with that question burned on our mind, should I not care about such a great city? Should you not care about such a, should we not care about such a great city? Lord, may that shake us from our silence. May we step beyond ourselves. May we love a world that so desperately needs you, they can't tell their left hand from their right. Lord, may we be, may we be your church, your prophets. Forgive us for our rebellion. Lord, bring us back. And when you unleash revival, may we celebrate the God of the redeemed. And all God's people said, amen.